things don't have to just happen in front of you, they can happen all around you. And I think there is so much innovation that can happen with the tech. It just needs more people in it to push the boundaries of it. As soon as you spend a little bit of time there, you realise it's just another medium to tell stories. There's a drive to bring kind of more of an arts, theatre, visual arts, whatever, into this space. That, to me, would be a really good step to see more of that. Hello, and welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast. Sponsored by Harlequin Floors, world leader in floors, stage systems, and studio equipment for the performing arts. The Theatre Art Life podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Ana Aguilera. Today, I'm joined by Iona McEwen and Lou Doe, and they're going to share with us about their work with emerging technologies and storytelling on Kingdom of Plants. Iona is a creative at Alchemy Immersive. She has worked on the creative and design for a variety of AR, VR, and MR projects. Most recently directed the VR series David Attenborough's Kingdom of Plants for Oculus TV. Her focus is exploring how emerging medias can be used to explore the narratives hidden in plain sight and engage new demographics and factual content. Lou is an immersive and emergent technology executive producer and creative director, AR, VR, MR, 5G film and TV, creating content for audiences today and future technologies. In 2019, she became a digital fellow to the Royal Shakespeare Company and Magic Leap to explore storytelling in technology. Trained at London Contemporary Dance School, in her early career as a professional dancer, she toured with Matthew Burns' Adventures in Motion Pictures. In Kingdom of Plants, which is an immersive experience designed for Oculus TV, They explore through virtual reality using time-lapse sequences, macro-cinematography, and 8K 3D 6 frame per second footage. David Attenborough guides us to discover the hidden lives of plants and what they do to ensure the survival of their species. Hello, welcome. (laughs) Hello. Hello. Hi. Can you start by telling us, in your own words, a little bit about yourselves? Lou, do you want to start? Like you said, actually, you kind of laid it out quite clearly that I started as a dancer and then that led to me kind of exploring more with technology. I discovered motion capture and really loved that 3D thinking in a digital space. And then sort of over the years have sort of explored all sort of new technologies as they come through. And I'm always looking at what the next thing is coming forward, you know, over the mountain and and trying to find creative technologists that are willing to collaborate with artists and bring them together uh, in a way that uh, allows for kind of innovation as well as uh, audience development, because not everybody has VR headsets at home. So I'm always thinking about how do we get something out into the world uh, beyond the hardware. Uh, so yeah, that, that's a little bit about me. And I'll pass over to Iona. Yeah, hi. I'm um, I'm Simon Creative at Alchemy Immersive, which is a we do which is a documentary company in London. Uh, which there's um so there's a TV section, there's a, a VFX section, um, and I'm in the immersive section, which is under the branch of Alchemy. So we get um, getting to do lots of fun things, especially with natural history focus. And yeah, um, recently been working on. Uh, I've just finished working on Kingdom of Plants about, yeah, about um, 
the plant world and sort of making plants the characters, um, which I find immersive media is such an interesting way to bring, um, to make nature the central character of stories. And but yeah, focus that we tell, I tell stories across um, nature and history, documentary and science, other sort of science communication and topics in different roles across immersive technologies, which is anything from um, virtual reality, like this Kingdom of Plants series is, but also augmented reality, mixed reality. We've done some projection mapping. Uh, so, yeah, there's lots of fun ways to tell um, factual stories using technology. Can you describe a little bit what the difference are between AR, VR, mixed reality? Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, I always like to think of it as so virtual reality is when the whole reality that you see around you has been replaced by a digital image. So, you know, that's often in a headset, but there's also types where if you've got like a magic window where you've got your mobile phone and if you turn it around, all you can see is the virtual world. Augmented reality is putting virtual things on top of the reality that you can see around you. So this can also be done in a headset if you're projecting like, uh, I don't know, so your wall, you can still see the wall in your room, but now fish are coming through the wall in your room. So it's mixing your reality and a virtual reality and um, virtual objects. And mixed reality is sort of the next level on top of that. So not only is sort of augmented reality plus, where you kind of interact a bit more with the objects that are moving through. You can interact with the virtual objects in the real space as well as the real space itself. And they have an impact on each other. The real space is um, impacts the virtual objects that so you can then really sort of play with the virtual world and the real world yeah that's, uh, that's sort of the description I tend to give this sort of build up on each other and Lou you also work with 5g you mentioned how does the 5g comes into play what is it changing what's what? it's definitely changing the way that people can stream content uh, more quickly you know we all use cloud-based systems specifically for storage of documents and so forth it's something that the that you can build specific cloud-based systems to stream more quickly so this feeds into uh, quite nicely this buzzword that we all keep hearing about which is the metaverse you know to be able to stream content uh, within this future metaverse we need to have more processing power quicker ways of doing it And you may have, you know, you may, some of your uh, listeners may have already seen that there's live performance being streamed into VR headsets. So performers are putting on motion capture suits with all the dots, and then they're being streamed in into live within the headsets. These things can be quicker. We'll be able to go from motion capture to something called volumetric capture. It will be able to stream it more quickly. I mean, there's also the development of 6G already starting to happen. I watched a brilliant podcast um, or listened to a podcast on that uh, only a couple of months ago. Um, and it's, you know, I have to say, you know, certain countries have still only got 3G, even 2G. Um, so it's quite a long way off yet. So, um, so if I could add on to that, it's of immersive media relies so heavily on technological advance, like of the tech advancing and changing all the time because um, one of our biggest um, barriers to creating amazing content that's accessible to people is being able to create sort of smooth, easy to access content. So things like 5G make um, content really accessible because it's you don't have to wait for things to load or they don't buffer 
And especially things like VR buffering can cause things like motion sickness. So it isn't just annoying. It's also can be quite sort of sickening um, and really bring people out of the experience. So, um, yeah, there's a huge intersection between um, the creative uh, vision and uh, what the technology can do. But uh, we love to push the barriers of that by experimenting with how we can create things in ways that are easy to access and make the most of technology as it moves forward. Boy, you you touched on a point that I was going to leave for later. Uh, (laughs) But... (laughs) I do get terrible motion sickness and I was like, oh boy, maybe you that are the experts can give me some good tips on how to deal with that. Because especially AR, I like almost as soon as I put the headset on, I have to put it back down, which is very sad. VR, I can last about five minutes, um, but I love the content. I'm like, I, I, this is so cool. Yeah, no, I, I was going to say, because I own and <laughs> we worked quite hard, didn't we, with Kingdom of Plants to uh, make sure that there wasn't that motion sickness especially at the opening which I mean I I know you can tell more about about the sort of visual for that but I can completely sympathize Anna because the it's the same for me I can get really bad motion sickness and it's because training as a dancer I learned to I learned to manage balance so I'm always kind of trying to counter that balance and when you're in a VR headset you kind of almost have to go with it you can't like try and uh, fight it. And that's partly my problem. So I'm always a brilliant user tester, someone to go into a headset to go, do you do you feel sick? Because I am the, the person that I work in it. But I don't know, I mean, you can explain more with like Kingdom of Plants, that opening sequence, you know, that we were constantly testing. No, there was a, always a lot of when, um, when we're playing with the shot that feels dodgy, um, running around the office trying to find people who are most likely to get motion sick. So do you get car sick? Do you want to watch some VR? <laughs> so, trying to test for that. But it's such a, um, it's, it is a trick to get around. So generally, as a general rule in virtual reality, of course, rules are there to be broken, but you have to break them quite carefully, is, um, is the, the camera move is movement that or can often make people feel ill because they feel because they know they're not moving. Your body knows you're not moving, but you are moving. And as a general rule, you can kind of get away with moving forwards or sideways, most people. But you, as soon as you start moving diagonally um, or sort of up and round in a really curved or strange way, it can make quite a lot of people very motion sick, which is always the, the dangerous thing with things like... Um, VR roller coasters as well, they need a lot of, a lot of testing. And there's a few ways to get around that. Like you can do things like have a, a permanent floor so you can always look down and feel, and you can see that you're stood in the same place or have visible edges to, a, to an image. But to be honest, sometimes we have scenes that really rely on a sense of strangeness and the unearthly. And sometimes the best way for that is using motions that you know are quite dangerous to make people sick. So in Kingdom of Plants, the opening sequence brings you into the plant world from you start in the undergrowth and then you are lifted into this amazing this amazing sort of plant world universe where there's sort of you can see the areas of different types of plants the carnivores and um and the desert plants and uh the fungi sort of little islands of fungi we track them as plants for this um project because um they're part of the plants ecosystem though i know they're not technically plants but they are they're we, they are part of the story of plant life. What we tended to do was to really sit there and go over and over again, smoothing the motion out to make it so that you're 
you're going, you're trying to only move in one direction at a time. So not really going on the diagonal, you're going up, then turning, then going along and make it way slower than you think because it'll feel really fast in VR, but it's actually a really slow incline and across way, way slower than you could, than you do in television, which is a general rule for VR anyway. All your cuts are about twice as long and people still think they're faster because it feels faster because it's all around you. So yeah, it's just really playing with the the curves and lots and lots of user testing and uh, running around the office and just grabbing anyone who looks mildly queasy and being like, could you you take a look? (laughs) Well, uh, my sentiments to those guinea pigs that have to put themselves (laughs) through that (laughs) for some of us to be able to experience it without... (laughs) You, you started telling us a little bit of how you take from the film world and cinematographical uh, world the elements and storytelling. And Lou, you were telling a little bit of how dance helped you find this. So I, I wonder if you uh, can make what are the similitudes and differences between uh, or similarities and differences between the way you story te- uh, you do your storytelling and how you go your creative process and sequence to tell that story how is it different in immersive technologies with our more kind of traditional other mediums i mean i i can talk about it from the difference between theater and this world and and that and then i only can come at it from a kind of more television perspective but i think the the most important thing is to think about that user journey Um, you know, what are the key touch points that you want people to take away is really important. It's no different when you uh, work with writers for theatre or choreographers, you know, there is, there's a narrative and there's a clear narrative. And I, I mean, one of the, one of the pipelines of creation in theatre is, is to sign a script off first and foremost, and allow that script to then inform you know various points within the show but it's no different when you're working in this sector where you you have a sign off of a of a specific script and then you can build visual to that script and you can build a user journey to it there are a lot of writers now that are migrating from traditional forms of of entertainment live performance into this sector Uh, and specifically, we're seeing the immersive world doing that, people that make immersive theatre, because they understand uh, user journey, which is beyond a stage, taking people on a kind of journey through a space or whatever. That They they seem to be the ones that are migrating across. You know, like I say, I like a pipeline that generally starts with a script sign-off. But, yeah, and I mean, Iona can talk about it from a television perspective. Completely agree with what Lou says is that uh, you know user journey is so important because the first thing you do whenever you watch a VR or anything in VR, AR, MR is the first thing you have to do is teach people how to interact with what they're about to do because uh, there's no it's not like with television where you know to sit down and just watch it I mean if you think about things like early radio there were guidance manuals about how to listen to radio that were I think the BBC put them out and that kind of thing. So we are at sort of at that stage with VR that a lot of people, when they see things, it's the first time or it's one of the first times. So you can't just assume they're going to enter the experience and understand things that feel natural if you've been doing it a while. Like you need to look around and, discuss, and um, follow the action with your head or if it's um, 
room scale, which means you can move around the room. You need to know people need to be alerted to the fact that they can follow objects, they can potentially interact with them, that kind of thing. So yeah, user journey is such a backbone to all story, all the stories. I think coming from the TV side, and um, we often find one of the big differences between TV and film and immersive content is that it's not flat, it's really spatial. Stuff's all happening all around you. So having that kind of really spatial brain really helps people um, think about how to design experiences. As, as Lou was saying, people from immersive theatres have already have that sense of things don't have to just happen in front of you, they can happen all around you. And there's also a bit of a sense of the, as I was saying earlier, with the technology of 5G and things like that, and the um, technology drives what's possible um, in both in immersive a lot more um, and things that feel so possible in TV and so natural methods of storytelling aren't possible in VR. Things like um, close-ups are often hugely technically challenging because um, within VR, because VR cameras are all long lens. um, So it's one-to-one scale. So you are stood and the thing in front of you is stood at the same scale it is in the real world. So if you, and if you go closer to it, you're just closer. You're not, um, you're not super like you're not like a micro, a macro. You can't do like I don't know. You're going to just look at somebody's eye for a second. You have to think about how am I going to achieve that kind of effect without being able to do that. I mean, we um, so we play a lot with combining traditionally shot footage in virtual spaces. So. Um, there's all, another point is there's no such thing as soft focus on traditional VR cameras. So what we did is we shot, uh, we used footage that had been shot um, in super close up with soft focus backgrounds and then used a custom tool to extend that background into space so we could bring you into that sort of really close up world to see things like uh, ladybirds on a branch or be really inside a flower because it's it's just uh, not possible. So I think when we bring sort of thinking of storytelling from sort of the TV and flat screen world um, into the virtual world, the first thing we're sort of like is remember you're in a space and sort of forget all of the, don't assume you can do anything. Remember to sort of think, how am I, how am I going to see it? And how is it going to be possible as if I was right there rather than thinking in that sort of flat screen way? I was also going to say, Ona, I think one of the great things that, that you did right from the start is you uh, instantly thought about the plants as characters. So, it, you know, like, you've, like the hero characters, you know, of each, each episode. And that's like you would do if you're writing a script, you know, when you're kind of writing a script for a play or a film, it is thinking about the story of each of those characters. And that's, that's one of the strengths, I think, in in this experience is that you build a kind of connection specifically to that plant Um, and then the visual the 3d visual and the immersiveness of it just really kind of cements that and puts you much further within the experience and I think yeah that that's one of the one of the great strengths right from the start I think of this project. Could you describe us in your own words, a little bit of the project and what each of you did for this project and how this uh, fits with all the conversation we're having. So I was director on Kingdom of Plants. And so I came in uh, with this, what we call rectilinear footage. So it was it was shot flat in, but it was shot for a, 
for traditional TV screens, but in 3D and thought about how we were going to bring viewers into the world of plants using incredible time-lapse soft focus footage and in a virtual environment. Um, so there's a lot of pulling the script together because um, you have to think about how you tell a story in a very different way to um, the TV documentary side and sort of thinking. So I, um, on this project, I was spent a lot of time thinking about how to bring people into a space and make it much more of an experiential story where you get to beat plants as people and be with them at their scale um, in their sort of sense of time as well because we use these really long time-lapse um, shots to show that plants actually move a lot more than you think they are. They aren't static at all. You can see uh, vines often are absolutely battling each other trying to get to be the top of the forest level and uh, just really trying to bring these stories into um, into the forefront as character stories in VR. So yeah, that was that's my job on uh, Kingdom of Plants. I think for me, it's a producer's role is like you know any other producer role. You have to keep communication going. Uh, in this case, also with uh, you know the client being uh, Oculus TV Meta, keeping on top of milestones and deliverables. Uh, and what was difficult, I think, specifically in this case was that we were in the middle of a pandemic. So communication was, uh, you know, reviewing processes are all done online. You know, everything was, was you know, kind of remote where it's, sometimes it's nice to bring everyone together to do reviewing and look at things, you know. So we were having to that. And also because uh, Eric and the team at Office TV are based in the States anyway. So, you know, we couldn't just jump on a plane and go over so we, yeah, it was a lot of that scheduling, budgets, the usual stuff that a producer would do, and then just supporting Iona uh, as much as possible in where there might be extra things that needed chasing or doing. I would say that's generally what my role was. Yeah, I mean, we were really lucky working with Oculus, T- um, Oculus TV, the team at Oculus TV, that they're so um, they were really supportive and really um, throughout the process very trusting of us um, and uh, very trusting that we would that that the pathways we were pursuing were were um, going to lead to something amazing and letting us really try and um, push what kind of stories we were going to tell away from um, like you know what you would imagine sort of uh, VR users like primary um, primary interests and dive into the more um, the plant world which I guess is so um, in a medium that's so dominated by sort of tech and uh you know a lot of people you know the the dominant games are sort of you know shooters and um and social spaces and stuff and really trusting us to tell a a really visually stunning natural history story um and try and bring it to life in a way that was exciting but we did include the carnivores to really um lean into that sort of more gruesome side of the plant world as well i do think plants can be evil (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> some of them are so gruesome i always mm. i love um, uh, one of my favorite plants of the series was the sundew um which is this amazing strange alien looking plant it has tentacles like some kind of octopus um that are covered in little gob- uh, like globules of uh, sap and it smells all uh, nice and gooey and lovely so flies land on it and then it suffocates them using the the globules and it just it looks so beautiful while doing it and if you speed up time you can see the plant just like 
turning and curving and crushing these poor flies. They're landing on a on a beautiful innocent flower. It's mm. amazing. Um, I, think, I was going to say also sound that goes with some of these things. So there was like, wasn't there? There's one scene where there are ladybirds crunching on these like aphids, and the sound is just like the we that's been added to it is quite horrific. It's a little bit like a Hitchcock film in a strange oh. way. Some of these, <laughs> do you know what? Sound, sound of the immersive media is really yeah. the interesting one. I mean, so we used yeah. for this series, we worked with um, Oliver Cadell at uh, 1.618 Digital, who's this amazing immersive sound designer. Um, and the sound is all happening all around you. It's um, it's ambisonic, which means wherever you turn your head, the sounds you you're getting the right. You're facing the sound as if you're in the space. So you know if there's a if for example if there was a dog barking in the corner, and you look towards the dog, it'll be louder. That kind of you know that sense of adding sense of spatial of space using sound. But designing sound for natural history, especially in a project where we're messing with how time works, was really interesting because. There's a few things like obviously um, flowers opening and closing don't really make sounds because, or if they do, they're way too, it's all slow and subtle, so we would never hear it. So if we want to capture, so often we were sort of trying to illustrate the sort of feeling of emotion rather than being able to use actual sounds. And I know Oliver did research into the sounds that plants actually make because they do, they make sounds we can't really hear and there are ways of capturing them and use that to inform how he designed a much more um, indicative sound, a sound that really made you made you feel and connect to what the plant was doing at that moment. For example, if um, it asked beautiful, we have a bloom sequence where we show how um, show lots of flowers opening and closing and turning towards the sun and just sort of doing their day-to-day business, I guess. But he was um, he added these beautiful sort of whooshing and breathing sounds to really show how they were alive and moving. And this is just this is uh, this is them in the real world, just um, and being very very much alive and active. And now a moment for our sponsor, the Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by Harlequin. Harlequin is the world leader in floors, stage systems, and studio equipment for the performing arts. Established in the UK over 40 years ago, Harlequin is the preferred performance floor for the world's most prestigious dance and performing arts companies, theatres and schools. From the Royal Opera House to the Bolshoi Theatre, the New York City Ballet to the Royal New Zealand Ballet. Harlequin's experience and reputation are founded on the development, manufacture and supply of a range of high-quality sprung and vinyl floors specifically designed for dance and the performing arts. Backed by an engineering team and independent research, Harlequin also designs, builds and refurbishes stages working with stage engineers and theatre consultants in leading venues across the world. Harlequin is the global leader in its field with offices in Europe, the Americas and Asia Pacific. Find out more at harlequinfloors.com, H-A-R-L-E-Q-U-I-N floors.com. What is something, I guess, uh, for you, Lou, uh, that you learned on this project as well? I want to clearly learn a lot of, about plants. I don't know if there's something <laughs> else. <then. laughs> yeah, I think I'd say we both learned a lot about plants. I have to say, although I am a keen gardener and I love plants anyway, so it was just, yeah, it was a given. <laughs> I really wanted to work on this this project compositing I learned a lot about I have to say we worked with this brilliant guy called Tim who did the compositing and I it was just there was so much to learn in terms of the the software that he used you know the techniques in which he was using 
uh, that really, and he was really pushing the boundaries of it. And I would say there was quite, yeah, there was quite a lot there that, that, yeah, I had to really take on board um, from his perspective because he was using some new um, uh, software that he'd created. And I think he kind of worked quite a lot of magic. I think Iona would agree with me on that. I don't know what Iona, what else you felt you kind of learned on the project? Oh, yeah. I mean, compositing and the CG side. I mean, so in this, so for this project, compositing was a lot of it was adapting footage that was because we wanted to use footage with soft focus and macro, which you can achieve with VR cameras. It's combining footage recaptured VR cameras with traditionally captured footage. And what Tim did is he would take this traditionally captured footage and extend the edges and project it so it felt like it was so it wasn't curved or warped so it looks correct and then added sort of um, chromatic aberrations so like camera flares and stuff around the edges to to sort of make it feel like it was in the the real space and that you were you were there with the the flower the character occasionally the insect there's a lot of uh, yeah there's a lot of tech very technical learning around um file types and managing the amount the sheer amount of data we were dealing with so even with our like highest spec machine, once you were using the files at their their um, full resolution, the computer could hardly play, and there was a lot of um, hardly we could hardly play it back, and we'd have to render things out to double check them and to do color grading. There was a lot of um, thinking about um, um, how to do that, and it's uh, it was very technically challenging at points, but. Um, and a lot of um, yeah, a lot of deep diving into into the tech of how to of how to make it work. I mean, I used to I worked in IT for a bit, so I feel like a bit of a background sense of computers and how to get them to run in the most efficient way. Um, but there's certainly so much learning. I tested my math skills with dealing uh, <laughs> with file sizes and uh, resolution changes and all and uh, speeds of time lapses. That's another thing. Um, time lapses. So um, this project plays back at sixty frames per second, which is approximately as fast as you know. It's what is the fastest that a headset can manage at the moment, realistically? Um, I think some headsets are trying to push to ninety, um, but um, it's trying to reduce the sort of flickering of shots, which reduces things like motion sickness, which. Uh, it's a problem we were talking before. So all those kind of little um, technical improvements do reduce discomfort in VR. Um, and there was a lot of figuring out how to time time lapses and frame um, and frame rates to make them feel alive and not stuttery and to keep that smooth, especially with when plants changed how fast they opened and closed. Um, there's a, a flower called the Queen of the Night that blooms at night, but it doesn't really do it very consistently. So it starts out quite slow and then suddenly speeds up, and uh, which means that you, when we were timing out a time lapse, you had to sort of split the time lapse up and be like, "We're going to play this back at sixty fps. We're going to play this back at thirty fps because otherwise we're going to lose all this beautiful opening of the petals." Um, so yeah, there's a lot of technical learning um, and storytelling learning about pacing as well. I'd say in general, you tell a story a lot slower in VR because people have a lot to take in and a lot to look at any given time. You can't really do fast cuts. You can't really, um, you know, pull people through a story too quickly because they're trying to take in so much at any given moment. So a lot about how to tell quite sometimes quite complex stories and ideas and thoughts 
in a simple a simple way as possible. Um, an example would be pine trees are sort of allies with ladybirds. So that sort of pine scent you smell if you're walking through a forest is a pine tree sort of calling for help to a ladybird because it's got an aphid infestation, and which is quite a I'm trying to explain how the scents worked and how it called the ladybirds and so and how when the aphids bite that's how it releases the scent but the pine tree triggers other pine trees who help that pine tree and it's such a complicated sort of idea to try and explain in a sort of smooth and simple way um that doesn't take you that's where you can sort of stay on a shot for a long time and that shot progresses through the thoughts and the ideas uh which was quite a it was a definitely something that I learned a lot about during this project I'd also say you know I think uh, that the that audience journey specifically with this project for me was uh, it was slower um, but it's also not um, oversensitizing people you know the balance between the visual and the sound is is yeah that that's a real key because you can if you throw an awful lot at your user, your audience, it's too much to take in. So yeah, it's all it's always I'm always learning more about that. What I call that kind of balance of senses, really important for me. But also something else I was thinking when Iona was talking about the technology and uh, you know rendering out all those kinds of things. You create a timeline for a project, but I have to say you can never ever have enough time for rendering out stuff. <laughs> It's kind of that was a really big learning curve because it needs time. The computers need time to process that, um, and yeah, it's it can be a really long process depending. And yeah, you need the processing power to do that. So yeah, that was that was quite a learning curve, I'd say. We yeah, we did manage to hit our rendering mm. time managed to hit the same moment of uh, of certain chip and um, you know computer component shortages. So we suddenly we're in a race against suppliers trying to find bits to of computer to make things render at a speed that would allow us to hit deadlines that we did pull together eventually. Yeah, it was, especially because there were delays because of the pandemic and deliveries. Yeah, <laughs> it was crazy timelines, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, we got there. We had yeah. some very hardworking, um, we have some very hardworking and lovely IT people who uh, deal with our you know, manic for like demands for more processing power. Yeah. So they're lovely. They're very understanding. What do you look forward to, whether it's with immersive technologies or a project uh, that you're currently working on or that you would like to work on? Oh man, there's so many. I mean, always working on the pitch process. I'm so excited to see where the technology goes next. So this project was for Oculus TV. Um, which at the moment is linear storytelling. And obviously in VR, we have linear storytelling, you know, like getting from A to B in a story, but you also have really much more interactive exploratory storytelling, which is, um, you know, you can do much more like role-playing or, you know, following your interests and shaping a story or even minor interactions you know, that are a lot more exploratory. And I'm really looking forward to seeing um, how exploratory storytelling and linear storytelling sort of meet a bit more in virtual reality which I think there's a lot of potential for and how um and how you can tell these factual stories in a way that's more interactive so you know moment obviously with flowers and stuff you're following the stories that they tell that if there was a way 
of exploring some, some of the concepts in a in a more interactive way or walking around the being able to walk around the plants around just seeing them from the front and I think there is there is starting there's techniques which you can do that things like um videogrammetry and photogrammetry which are a bunch of cameras from all around that capture a model of a lots of photos of an object you're trying to capture and then build them into stitch all the photos together to make the model a realistic model of what you're trying to capture it's so processing heavy at the moment and to see that technology move forwards and make more um more ways of capturing things in 3d possible and allowing people to see them from more different angles um and then the platforms things like oculus tv are including slightly less linear ways of telling stories and less um a more room scale ways of telling stories. I think that's all the kind of thing we're going to see more of. Yeah, I think uh, I would say the same thing. I really love the idea of sort of room scale experiences. Experiences also that you can go to a location to see, but equally you can do in your home. I like that kind of double edge to it. I think the the space of streaming live performance into this technology is going to be interesting. Well, we've all, we all know about the you know, the ABBA announcement last year. And it'd be interesting to see what that performance will be. You know, Coldplay were using sort of holograms on a performance on a barge in the Thames, which again, really, really interesting. I think, yeah, I like I like that 3D space. But, you know, I know that, you know, location-based experiences are limited to people that can get there. So the idea that you can bring that into people's homes, I think is, is really interesting. Um, but actually, I love the idea that the, the more artists step into this space to experiment, play with it, innovate with this technology, almost break it, see what you can do with it, <laughs> you know, because I think it is. And I think the, you know, the live performance world from, you know, sound people to, you know, lighting people, they're all equally as important in this space. And I think there is so much innovation that can happen with the tech. It just needs more people in it to push the boundaries of it. I think a part of that is also um, intuitive design. Design, user journey, user experience, that kind of like how people interact with things is so important. And there's lots of good research into how how to make sure that when people put a headset on, they feel like immediately they know what to do. I mean, even if you think of things like phones, I still sometimes have to stand over my mum's shoulder and make sure she knows what she's tapping to get into certain apps and uh, use certain objects. And just making, and but at the same time, the um, the way mobile devices have developed to become so intuitive that nearly everyone can pick one up and have a good sense of what to tap on first. And I think there's loads of really good work and research that's going in, certainly on Meta's side and in Oculus, um, in the Oculus browser, about like ways to make it really intuitive to navigate through virtual spaces. But I really do think that immersive performers and artists have a role to play there as people who can come in and think much um, with much like less of the engineering brain and that sort of imaginative design brain of how to make sure people can come into a virtual space and interact with the things in an interesting way and feel like they can use it. There's so many incredible experiences out there where people have started to think of really intuitive ways of interacting. There's things um there was a few years ago a beautiful experience on Magic Leap called Tanadi that uh, lets you interact with 
objects around you by putting your hands on them, moving your hands around, and it changed the music around you and the sound. That was such an imaginative way of thinking about how to make interaction in, um, in virtual spaces and immersive experiences feel really natural and really beautiful. And it's just that really sort of spatial brain and imaginative brain about how to put people in spaces and just let them go free and know what yeah. to do. The creative director on that particular experience came from a dance background. And yeah, so she came in and thought about it in 3D and how you move around a space. She was trained as a contemporary dancer, which is really interesting. Uh, you say that, Iona. But I was also thinking the other thing that's really important, as you just mentioned, I know, is the onboarding process. And naturally, front of house managers and venues and theatres understand that. It's a normal thing. You open the doors, it's a process, people come and get a ticket or they show you their ticket. They might go to the bar to get a drink. All those things are kind of natural to us because we've learned them. Um, and when it comes to onboarding in this with technology, there's so many different types of technologies or different hardware. So there's different onboarding. So those designs, and I think the, the simplest way is the best way. And generally, it's people that manage um, onboarding in their everyday lives, like I say, front of house people, would be really good in this space to inform that, I think. Keep it simple. Because you do still, like I still have to do the same, like I own a show, sometimes show people how to navigate things. <laughs> Yeah. That's a brilliant thing. Like, let's get front of house people on board to yeah. help us design uh, yeah. immersive experiences. That, yeah. Yes, that's brilliant. <laughs> what would you say it's the favorite thing about your job? Oh, wow. oh my God. So hard. <laughs> so many good things. Yeah. I mean, I'm always trying to drag everyone I know into um, immersive media because I just think it's amazing. There's every single day there's some there's some new way of exploring a topic. It's like everything from like Instagram filters. If anyone's ever bored, check out Nat Geo's Instagram filters because they use AR in such a good way to tell stories about things like fireflies and stuff. And that's so inspiring. Um, and there's always new um, like um, even Magic Leap, which had which had its moment and um, sort of struggled a bit into get people engaged in mixed reality but I really feel like it had so many really good ideas to engage with and just um, and thoughts that are hopefully going to come back and inform the next iteration there's always new technologies and experiences everywhere and ways of testing how you can even think about telling a story it's like you just have to start with a message and be like how am I going to tell this in such a cool way and just you have such a blank canvas um, in a sort of constantly changing tools to tell the story with very broad but it's, it's so hard to pin it down to, to one thing I think it's the variety and the the and um, the options yeah it's the constant learning isn't it that's really I love I mean I really love that there's always something new each, each project each day you're learning as you go along there's you know there are different pipelines of creation depending on the project you know it's not a set thing so, you know, that's still kind of in its infancy, really. I mean, because game design has a specific pipeline, but this is different. So, yeah, that's different. But I think, I think I, I really love just working with different creatives. I think that's really inspiring, uh, different thought processes to approaching making work in this, in, in this immersive uh, space, technology space. But I get quite excited about hearing about the new bit of tech that's about to come out. You know, that's that's always a thing for me. <laughs> like, oh, you know, when can I play with it? <laughs> it's the thing, I think that um, 
I it's a shame that immersive media sometimes has a bit of a, a techie kind of look from the outside of and if and I think um a lot of people feel there's a big technical barrier to engaging in it. But I I feel like there's um as soon as you spend a little bit of time there, you realise it's just another medium to tell stories. And although the tech is important, you don't really need to know all of it. You just need to know enough to keep moving and to talk to people and to think in really imaginative ways. It's kind of like you want to drag the people who are who are worried about engaging in immersive media because like, oh, I'm tech. I'm not really technology. I don't know much about technology. I'm not good with computers. But about anyone to drag them in and be like, no, but you've got like the brain space. You, I don't know, if you have a, if you are good at design of thinking about spaces and sort of more sculpture in a 3D way and you interact with the real world in an interesting way, you will have amazing ideas for media and should definitely be thinking about um, ways to um, bring those ideas into virtual spaces. Yeah, and I think uh, you're right. And I think the to grow audiences in this space is to grow a diverse workforce, you know, and the more diverse stories you can tell, then you're going to attract, you know, new people to to this environment. So I, you know, I kind of feel that there's a drive, I know, in the industry to to push for more sort of diverse workforces uh, to be able to reach more people. Um, but equally, you know, challenging can be expensive. So things have to be made in a way that can be, if it's something on a £50 phone to a £500 phone, you know, you have to think about that as well um, because not everybody's going to have the most expensive bit of technology there are sometimes simpler experiences that you can do through sound or through um, you know through webs through WebXR so yeah I, I think as the industry grows I think we'll start to see uh, more different types of storytelling coming through which would be really exciting. What is one thing you would change about either your specific job or the niche of the industry or the entertainment industry as a whole? Oh, that's a big one. <laughs> that's a big question. I don't know. What would I change? I think I'd go back to what we were saying before about um, I'd have I'd have people working in it that weren't coming from engineering and tech backgrounds. These people are amazing as well. They come from engineering tech and very tech-focused backgrounds. You know, like There's loads to contribute. But also I, I feel like there needs to be more people coming from a visual arts background um, and and more diverse people. Like um, it's still a very male driven part of the industry. Um, a lot of the entertainment industry is, but, but especially this section um, and a lot more people who um, from diverse backgrounds with um, different stories from different cultures and, and with different life experiences and more ways of thinking about accessibility and diversity because there's so there's things that we're starting to touch upon like VR is hard if for, for people who are partially sighted for example and ways to make sure that experiences can you can create um, have components that can speak to everyone and creators with these kind of experiences and backgrounds are coming in and thinking about how to build the industry. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, diversity within uh, the storytelling can just be as simple as different translations. Make an experience, but make it in different languages. So there are options and ways of reaching different audiences. But equally, you know, there's so many beautiful stories from around the world that that would really uh, benefit from using technology. Um, And so therefore, yeah, that diverse workforce 
is really important. And I think, Ione, you touched on, you know, you touched on Tanandi as a good example of, you know, as, as a movement, the piece that moves you around a space with the interactivity. And it was a dancer's brain that thought of that. But equally, like you've talked about, you know, visual arts as well for design, because I think that's the other thing I'm always thinking about is how how we uh, design out things so that, that they look sort of different or have a particular style. So, yeah, and I think there needs, there, there's a drive to bring kind of more of an arts, theatre, visual arts, whatever, into this space. That, to me, would be a really good step to see more of that. Awesome. So where can people uh, find the work you've done? Maybe get in contact with you or with Alchemy Immersive. Find out about um, Kingdom of Plants. Yep, I mean, it's free to watch on Oculus TV. So if you have access to an Oculus headset, um, definitely check it out. Otherwise, um, check out yeah, check out our website. Feel free to get in contact with us. We're looking and hoping to figure out ways to show it in um, public spaces and um, figure out how we're going to get it to a wider audience. So um, if uh, so, yeah, keep an eye out for places festivals it might pop up at hopefully and um yeah awesome thank you very much that is lovely thank you theater at life is a global media site for entertainment memberships start at only 38 us dollars per year you can have unlimited access to our daily published articles including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com.